Hello there, and welcome to Lost in Citations. My name is Robert S. Murphy, and I'll be guest hosting today's show. Today we'll be talking to Dr. Joseph Shawls, who's a specially appointed professor at Keio University in Tokyo. He's the director of the Japan Intercultural Institute, JII, and is a pioneer in connecting intercultural studies with neuroscience and psychology. He speaks English, Japanese, French, Spanish, and probably a few other languages.、Uh, today, we'll be discussing his book, Language, Culture, and the Embodied Mind. We talk about how the brain learns language, how the brain learns culture, and why it is important for teachers and students to have a deep understanding of this learning process. We also talk about the meanings of and the causes for deep learning, motivation, and even student resistance to their language learning. Now, the first part of the interview discusses theory and why he wrote this book. Toward the end of the interview, we discuss practical advice regarding how culture and language can be taught in the classroom, not as separate content. There are three terms that Joseph uses in this interview that may require a bit of explanation beforehand. So let me do that here. Number one, what he calls the odd contradiction. What is this? Well, commonly people assume that language and culture are closely related. That makes sense. But in practice, it can be hard to bring cultural learning into the language classroom. As you will hear in the interview, Joseph has become kind of obsessed with bridging that gap. Number two, lingua culture. Joseph's work emphasizes the idea that language and culture are part of a larger whole, and that the meanings within a language、uh, come from the shared experiences of its family of speakers. That's lingua culture. And number three, deep learning. Deep learning? What is this about? Learning a language requires more than just memorizing or decoding. Joseph is interested in the deeper learning processes that are experiential, embodied, and complex. In the interview, you'll hear how the learning of language and the learning of culture both involve embodying foreignness into the self, pushing the concept that language learning is a form. Of culture learning, and that the foreign language classrooms should be seen as an intercultural experience. And so the big question is, of course, how can that be done? In the interview, you'll find solid advice for teachers, new and old, and a bunch of surprising discoveries along the way. Let's get to it. I hope you enjoyed the interview just as much as I did. And here's Joseph.、Uh, welcome to the show, Joseph. Robert, it is such a pleasure to speak with you. I'm so looking forward to geeking out about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, when we get together, we, we geek out. We, we geek out. We geek out. Yes, we do. Apologies to all the listeners if we go off into geek land, but we're going to be having fun.、So. Yeah, we will be having fun as we always do. I think we first met maybe 10、oh, years ago. 10 years ago or something. And we had this shared interest in mind brain education. Education, trying to understand how the mind works,、uh, how the brain works, and how that relates to education. And you know, I think you've been more focused on learning theory centrally, mm, mm, on,、mm. Uh, and, and I've been focused on cultural 
learning the language culture connection. And I, of course, you know, I have a deep interest in intercultural adaptation, but we always have this, this um, kind of brain mind uh, point that we always come back to. Yeah. Yeah. We've got this great overlap and uh, we've got just enough overlap to keep, uh, keep ourselves entertained. And then yeah. just, uh, <laughs> just enough outside of that Zen diagram to, to again, keep us entertained. Basically, yes, right? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's a pretty good balance. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be talking to you today. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so yeah, the title, once again, uh, language, culture, and the embodied mind. This came out in 2019, I think. Yeah, 2019. Yeah. Now, for the listeners' sake, what does the title mean? This book mm. is my attempt to bring language and culture together in a way which makes sense and which kind of resolves uh -huh. this contradiction to say, actually, language learning and culture learning are not so different, but you have to look at learning in a different way. I'm someone who's always been torn between my interest in learning languages and my interest in foreign experiences. Like when I first mm. went to Mexico on a homestay, I had kind of discovered Spanish in my part-time job. And I thought, oh, Mexico is the place I should go speak to, to to practice my spanish i saw okay. that foreign country as the as the, like the place to do that All but right. once i actually went to mexico i thought wow this is a whole different world <laughs> and so i became fascinated by what it means to live in a in a foreign country and to kind of adapt to that environment and it had a huge impact on me learning spanish and and then i went to live in mexico for 3 years it had a huge impact on me so i became mm. a spanish speaker and then i came to japan and i thought oh in a year i'll learn japanese of course no it you know japanese is very a very difficult language but I did learn Japanese and I did adapt to Japanese society. I later went to live in France and I learned mm. French as well. Cool. Um, so, but I've had this frustration that language learning and culture learning are kind of separate domains. You know, anthropologists mm. study culture, you know, linguists study language yeah, and yeah. there, and there's not a lot of overlap. And there's a kind of, in the book, I call it uh, the odd contradiction that language mm. teachers will tell you that culture is really important for language learning. Yeah. And that, you know, to understand the culture, you have to speak the language and to understand mm -hmm. the language fully, you have to understand culture. That makes sense. And people, and, and everybody yeah. agrees yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, mm. in most language classes, it, you know, it's, there's not a lot of culture. And a lot of hmm. textbooks, if you read a lot of textbooks, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually quite difficult to bring culture into the language classroom in a straightforward way. And I first discovered this when I was working at Rikyo University, and I was asked to plan a course in intercultural communication for 3,000 freshmen. Okay. And... It was going to be a required course in intercultural communication taught in English. Mm, so it mm. had to combine language learning and culture learning. And it was really hard. Okay. How do you bring culture into the class into the language classroom? Because if you just try and like, well, what is is this 
content that you're gonna you're gonna be teaching intercultural theories you know mm. like are you you know what is it that you should be teaching mm, mm, so mm, mm, mm. language learning is one thing culture learning is something else this was a real uh, frustration for me How, these two things are supposed to be together but they're not so easy to put together this book mm. resolves uh -huh. this contradiction to say actually language learning and culture learning are not so different but you have to look at learning in a different way so well it sounds like any language teacher should read this book then <laughs> well <laughs> sounds good i mean it, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, yeah it was written i mean the publisher asked me who is the target audience for this mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. one of the target audiences of course is teachers who are interested in bringing culture into language teaching but another mm -hmm. target is language teachers who are really interested in what I call deep learning, okay, which is, you know, traditional language education is about learning vocabulary and mm. memorizing the, the or learning the grammatical patterns. But you can have all of this linguistic knowledge, but still not be able to to speak, right? Yeah, and yeah. in with this traditional form of language education. So, for teachers who are interested in getting language more deeply integrated into learners mm, what i call mm, deep mm, learning mm, mm, uh, this book is also about that and that's the embodied mind part of this title so i language see okay and, yeah so language and culture are not so separate if we understand this more embodied sign of side of learning okay okay so I'll be getting uh, into some more questions, uh, practical questions, especially for the listeners who are, who are teachers. But since you're talking about embodied now, what I remember is you've got a, a passion for Benjamin Bergen's work. So can you Benjamin, talk about that a bit? Yeah, Benjamin Bergen, uh, who's a neurolinguist or maybe would you a cognitive linguist? I'm not sure how mm. he would describe himself, but he okay. he's interested in language and the mind or language and mental processes. So I found this book by Benjamin Bergen, Louder Than Words. Mm -hmm, yeah. And he talks about the fact that language is not simply a set of symbols. That when we're using language, what's happening in our brain and in our minds is more of a simulation of experience than it is uh, a manipulation of symbols. Wait, say again, a, a simulation of a simulation of experience okay. so it's more like memory than it is like manipulating symbols well let's okay. take an example yeah so yeah, yeah. if if i say dog what what's the image that comes to mind <laughs> well you know i'm I thinking know. of my chihuahuas you've got a, you've got, a, you've got beautiful kids yeah. <laughs> chihuahuas so am i right that when i say dog you did the, the your chihuahuas come to mind my chihuahuas come to mind yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah it, it, <laughs> you don't have some abstract symbol of of dog that comes to mind when i say dog because when i say mm. dog what's happening in your mind is not simply the manipulation of a concept dog mm -hmm. it's a recreation of your experience with dogs so if you yeah, ask yeah. this same question you know ask this to a room full of students 20 mm. 30 40 students and you will get 10 or 15 different types of dogs yeah yeah and probably none of them would well maybe one might think of the kanji for dog 
but that would be an outlier, right? That'd be a very rare right. case. Yeah. So a word triggers a simulation of our mm. experience with that yeah. concept. Yeah. So if I say wet dog, not only maybe do you get this, <laughs> a you, wet you may dog. get it. Okay. You not only get a mental image, you might like have this smell, like you have a memory of this, what a wet dog <laughs> yeah. smells like, or okay. this shaking, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the point of Benjamin Bergen's work is that language is a lot more than a manipulation of symbols. It's this embodied experience hmm. that's really related to our, to the experiences that are connected to language. So, okay. So language is a simulation of experience. All right. And and that sounds kind of abstract. Yeah. But it really was important for me personally because it helped me understand the relationship between language and culture. And that okay. was what was okay. frustrating me. We're getting to the it, good stuff now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. His work helped me understand why it is that we have language in one mental box and culture in another mental box. Mm, mm. Um, and I, and if, if language simulates experience in your mind, then that means the meaning of language doesn't come from the dictionary. It comes from our experience. Yeah. So the meaning of yeah. dog for you comes from your experience with dogs. My chihuahuas. With your chihuahuas. And so the, <laughs> yeah. the meaning the meaning of uh fourth of July mm. comes if you're if you if you're American, it comes from your experience of the fourth of July. So you know that uh you know fireworks, apple pie, hot dogs, whatever. But the fourth of July is not the same as July fourth, right? Yeah, yeah. July fourth is just the day after July third. It's just another day. So if mm. you if you don't have this background as an American, mm -hmm. then the Fourth of July doesn't have all of these associations. Mm. 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 So mm. the meaning of the Fourth of July comes from our experience with the Fourth of July. Um, but and, many people around the world, that doesn't mean anything to them, right? Because they don't have that shared experience. Yeah. yeah. So. The meaning of language comes from the shared experience of that community of speakers. Mm -hmm. Now, English is an international language, so you have it spoken in many places with many different experiences. So there's a huge variety, mm. but still what things mean is a reflection of your experience with the language. And this is important because if you, you know, when I was learning Japanese, I had terrible trouble with this word nakama. Uh-huh. I've so, heard you talk about this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And and I heard someone say uh the, the what the, the phrase that I heard, which mm, which mm, means mm. let me let me join in kind of yeah, thing. And I yeah, didn't yeah. know this word nakama. I said, what is nakama? They said, mm. Well, it's like um friend. And I said, mm. Well, but I thought friend was tomodachi. I said, Wow, mm. no, it's not the same. So well, what is nakama? Yeah. And nakama, of course, the, the the kanji meaning is like the inner space. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, the, the literal kanji. The yeah, literal yeah, kanji. Yeah, but yeah, really, yeah. nakama refers to a kind of insider, to, to being an insider. That's right. In some that's form. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like to be an in-group in member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because Japanese relationships are so distinguished so clearly between mm. being an insider and being an outsider. So yeah, yeah. there's all these inside outside vocabulary in Japanese, right? So you have nakama is like we're in group, we're we're close, we're buddies. And if you look up nakama in the dictionary, you have things like you know, gangster and colleague <laughs> and friend and buddy and mate, you know, like, maybe even comrade. Comrade, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. how can the same Japanese word be translated into both comrade and <laughs> gangster and in-group and, right? If you want to understand the word nakama, mm. you have to have experience with Japanese relationships. Yeah. The meaning of nakama comes from this shared experience that Japanese have in the way that they relate to each other. And they wouldn't want to be calling everybody tomodachi. That's that's the thing about Japanese. Uh, tomodachi right? is a different. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. You, tomodachi yeah, is, yeah. exists as a concept which is different than the concept of nakama because you can be nakama but not be tomodachi. For example, yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomodachi. Oh, for the listeners' sake, tomodachi just means simplistically friend, right? Right. And so, but. I say simplistically, but when people say tomodachi in Japanese, that's that's kind of intimate. Right. And so you yeah. can't say to an elderly person or somebody above you that, oh, we are tomodachi. That's that's kind of taboo. Right. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. And so this is another great example that mm. even to learn how to use the word tomodachi in yeah. Japanese, you have to have a feeling for how Japanese people relate to each other. That's right. And this, right. this feeling, this intuition that we have about what things mean mm. comes from our experience. Yeah. Okay. And so that's what the purpose of deep learning is. Deep mm. learning is experiential, and it helps us get this feeling for what things mean and this to internalize language more deeply. Uh, and that's where the embodied mind part of this uh, of this title comes in. And just I, I actually haven't explained this so far, but I mean the book basically explains a learning model. It's a developmental model of lingua culture learning, and this is a a learning model which tries to show that language learning and culture learning are actually very closely related. So that's kind mm. of the theoretical point that it's making. I but it's see. all about this kind of deep uh, trying to understand uh, that at a deep level language learning and culture learning are very similar. So another way to say it is that at a surface level, mm -hmm. to study about language or to study about culture, those are very separate, right? Mm -hmm. To get information mm -hmm. about language, to explain about language or to explain about culture, those are very different things. Mm -hmm. But at a deeper, a deeper level of learning, to learn a language, you have to internalize it. And to learn, to get a feeling for culture, you have to internalize it. And so it's that deeper kind of learning where we find language and culture coming together. Uh, you know, Got if it. you want, do you want to, do you want to like a, a one sentence of theory here? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> a one <laughs> sentence the of theory. Okay. This is for the geeks, right? right. So language learning requires the internalization of foreign patterns of meaning okay can you say that again language learning requires an internalizing of foreign patterns of meaning okay so please unpack that well a, a, a grammatical system or different words and meanings that's a it's a system of meaning mm -hmm. 
that has to be internalized into your mind. You have to acquire that, in, you have to get that into our mind. But um, conscious knowledge is not enough to do that. Conscious knowledge enough. is not enough to internalize it. Yeah, you need it needs to be internalized. Studying about language mm -hmm. is not enough. That's why we have to oh, use it and okay. practice it in trial and error. I see. Um, culture, cultural learning mm. is also making sense of foreign patterns. When I came to Japan, there was mm. all this stuff I didn't understand. I, I I could imitate bowing. I could like bend my waist, and so I looked like I was bowing, like Japanese people were doing. <laughs> okay, but oh, actually, oh, so you thought right. Or so I thought. Yeah. But to actually really understand the subtleties of bowing, you have yeah. to really get a feeling for how Japanese society, you know, how people relate to each other. Yeah. 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 So, so you're I saying now that, sorry, you're saying now that when you see like a newbie doing a bow, you're going, he doesn't know how to bow. I don't go, I do not go, <laughs> Robert, come on now. <laughs> in your mind. <laughs> no. No raspberries. No. Okay. That, no, absolutely not. Okay. No raspberries. Okay. So, okay. Because, so, no, no, but okay. let me, let me, let me, okay. let me just say, yeah. cultural learning, deep cultural learning is mm. difficult. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's difficult. It takes time. It's trial and error. And some people can live in a foreign country for years and basically mm. stay on the surface. It really takes an openness mm. of mind and a willingness to kind of internalize and make sense of all these foreign patterns to really deeply understand cultural patterns. And, you know, we've all mm. met people mm -hmm. who've lived in a foreign country for a long time, but they're kind of, you know, tourists forever, tourists forever. Well, it's the same for language. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, mm -hmm. you can hear explanations about English all day long, but until mm. you open your mind to it and kind of experiment with it for yourself and try and make it part of yourself and try and express who you are using this awkward system, mm. you know, until you take it into yourself more deeply, uh, it's not that you're not going to become fluent. You're not going to become comfortable. So, I mean, Wait, where are we I'm talking going, culture now or language? So that's the point, right? Okay. That yeah. it's the same thing. That Ooh. in fact, that this at the deeper level, mm. language learning, the, the what's going on in our mind mm. when we're learning a language is very mm. similar to what's going on in our mind when we're trying to make sense of these foreign cultural patterns. Mm. Uh, at the level, at the, at the deep, at the level, at the level of the embodied mind, okay. and. So this book tries to explain that in a four-step model. The subtitle of the book is The Developmental Model of Lingua Culture Learning, which sounds, yeah, doesn't that sound cool? It makes me sound smart, right? I like here, saying here, it. Do that again, do that again. The Developmental Model of Lingua Culture Learning. By Lisa um, Schultz. Let, let's think about what is a model. Mm. Uh, and, and I got the, the, my thinking about what a model is, comes from Dan Larson Freeman, who's okay. a, a second language acquisition uh, expert. And, and she talks mm -hmm. about she talks about mental models that language teachers use uh, in order to make decisions about what they do in the classroom. And you know, every time you walk into the classroom or plan your syllabus or put together a course, you have to make all these decisions about what materials to use, what activities to do, how to carry them out. Yeah. And and her point is that 
those decisions depend on our on the mental model that we have of how we learn mm. depending on how we think about learning that's going to impact what we do in the classroom okay so so here's a simple example if you think about memory how do we want our students to remember vocabulary words okay yeah so if we think about memory like it's a muscle you know we have to build it and make it stronger yeah then we need to do this repetition so let's repeat the word over and over again so like if you're thinking about memory like a muscle it's going to affect how you how you teach because so we're, chihuahua, we're gonna, we're, chihuahua, 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 right? Yeah, so okay, let's yeah. say it ten times. Okay. Um, <laughs> so a model is how we decide what to do in the classroom. The, our mental, the mental model we have in our mind. This is All what right. her point is that the the, right. mo the mental model that we use. Everybody has some kind of mental models in their mind that they use when they teach. Okay. So this developmental model of lingua culture learning is just a way to give teachers a kind of new mental picture that they can use to think about language and culture learning in a unified way. Mm, mm. Um, nice. So I'm trying to kind of enrich how people think about what learning is. Mm. And the reason I got interested in this is that often the way that people talk about language learning is very different than the way they talk about culture learning. Like if you look at the professional literature, so language learning is often talked about like a kind of information, like acquisition input or else skills yeah, like yeah, practice, yeah. you know, skills, it's information and, and, and processing and skills. Mm -hmm. If you look at the intercultural literature, they, they talk about things like, awareness and criticality and they say well we have to become interculturally aware so oh. and that's and and that's true enough you know i mean becoming aware of culture may be an important thing hmm. the problem is that if you have if you say well learning culture requires awareness but re learning language requires skills and information hmm. then we've got two different mental boxes in our mind so it's like, well, are we going to do language hmm. today or are we going to do culture today? If we, if our mental models are different, if the way we think about language learning and culture learning are different. So the so words this, we're using should even, even those should be more compatible at that level. I mean, I think it's good to think about the words that we use when yeah. we talk about learning mm, because mm, they reflect mm. kind of, a lot of times these assumptions about learning are kind of unconscious yeah um you know yeah. we talk about input without mm, thinking mm, that mm, this is mm. actually like a computer term yeah yeah so what's more important the you know having the proper input or how you feel about the input for example okay yeah so so in any case to get back to the, the this idea of model yeah. yeah um so this book is is a four a four level model which which gives teachers a way to think about language and culture learning in a very similar way. Mm. And this model is based on something that you have a great deal of passion for, dynamic skill theory. Aha, uh -huh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you were the first person that talked to me about dynamic skill theory. So I 
owe you uh, a big debt because this model uh, is borrows borrows in a very important way. I wouldn't say that it is an application of dynamic skill, dynamic scalary, but I think it borrows in a really important way. Mm, 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 mm. Yes. I'm really happy that that connection was made. Please go on. Uh, dynamic skill theory. So a few minutes ago, I said that from the perspective of deep learning, language learning and culture learning both involve internalizing these foreign patterns, mm -hmm, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the question is, how do we internalize these foreign patterns how what is the process that our mind goes through or that our brain goes through when it's internalizing these foreign patterns linguistic okay. patterns or cultural patterns that's okay. the that's the theoretical question and dynamic skill theory is a way of answering that question mm, because mm, dynamic mm. skill theory is a way of understanding how the brain learns i mean to put it in a super simplistic way it's yeah, yeah. How, how how the brain learns mm -hmm. and and i'm curious what you think robert i mean if you have to i mean it's possible to talk about dynamic skill theory at a really high level of abstraction but um yeah i think if you put it really simply you can say that the real basic insight of dynamic skill theory is when we are learning any complex skill, mm -hmm. whether it's playing tennis or learning a language or learning to play jazz piano, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it's not simply a question of adding extra bits of information until you can do it. Yeah. Complex skill theory says that's not how it works. Definitely not. Yeah. And it, it's a kind of common sense idea that if you mm. keep adding extra vocabulary words, that sooner or later you'll be able to speak the language, right? But language teachers know that simply adding extra words does not make someone a fluent speaker. In fact, if all they're doing, if all students are doing is learning vocabulary words and memorizing grammar rules, it can actually get in the way of more natural speaking, right? Mm, mm, yeah, yeah. I think we've yeah. all experienced some students who've like studied a lot, but really have trouble applying it. Yeah, well, since you asked me, um, let me bring up um, some teachings from Kurt Fisher, who came up with dynamic skill theory. On day one of his lessons, he would always say that, uh, you know, learning is not ladder-like. He would just say that in the very beginning. It's like a lot of people just teach it as if it's a ladder-like uh, concept, or it's not like filling up a bucket. And then getting another bucket and filling that bucket up as well. Um, these two metaphors are just wrong. He would just put that on the table on the, on the day one. He'd always do that, right? Um, and a lot that confused a lot of people in the in the classroom because what? I mean, that's that's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> so that's a starting point, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a kind of there's a kind of basic insight, mm. uh, I think, about mm -hmm. dynamic skills that if you get the the basic insight, it's actually not difficult. Yeah, yeah. But this basic insight is that learning happens at increasing levels of complexity. Mm -hmm. And that going to the, the next level of complexity requires what complexity theory calls emergence. It requires this kind of magical coming together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where 
it's a self-organizing process where connections are made and things self-organize. Mm -hmm. So if we can understand this process of how things go from simple organization to complex organization, that's what dynamic skill theory is trying to help us understand. Are we, yeah. are we, am I, am I stating it? Yes, that, yes, yes. Please the way go that on. you yes. understand it. Yes. Too? yes okay. Yeah. Um, so let's use, I mean, maybe the easiest thing is to use language learning as the example, because mm -hmm. we can talk about the four levels that I have on my, uh, and let's just put the words out there. Okay. Um, data mapping systems and systems of systems. These are the mm -hmm. four levels, the four levels. All right. So the first step of learning any complex skill is you need bits of information or individual skills. That's okay. the data. That's the simplest level of learning. Mm -hmm. That's when Example. you're learning a, learning a new vocabulary word. Okay. Got it. Vocabulary words, bunch of vocabulary words. Okay. Or if you're learning tennis, you first practice the forehand. The forehand. Definitely yeah, not starting with the backhand. Yeah. Right. The forehand. <laughs> you're going to start with the forehand. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you've learned some words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe you've learned, you've memorized some grammar patterns. Mm -hmm. But then you need to go to a higher level of complexity. You need to start connecting this bit, these bits of information together. You have to kind of plug in those words into the grammar patterns and start to make sentences, for example. Okay. And this is the, the next level, mm -hmm. the second level, which is the mapping level. Mm -hmm. And mapping is making connections between these bits of knowledge or bits uh, or skills that you've that you've been learning. Okay. So in the tennis example, it could be that first you learn the forehand, then you learn the backhand, and then you learn to like go forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, and you do a drill where you're kind of connecting the forehand and the backhand so that you can kind of connect these skills together. I, I'm imagining doing this against the wall still. There's not an opponent because that's that's much right. more complicated, right? So this is right, against the wall. You know, yeah. some machine throwing the balls at oh, you. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, How high and, tech? Yes. <laughs> um, so this is so this is the, the mapping level. Yeah. But yeah. then we know that for 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 language learning, uh, there's a there's a big barrier once you get to this point mm -hmm. where to go from that to kind of speaking spontaneously and expressing yourself that more naturally is quite difficult yeah and yeah. you know it's it's a much easier thing to make a single sentence or even a series of sentences that you kind of think through consciously mm. than it is to speak spontaneously um mm. all right yeah and i think that, that from the perspective of dynamic skill theory, that's because there's a big difference between making a sentence consciously and speaking spontaneously. And that is speaking spontaneously requires that you have, that you're able to internalize the language as a holistic system. You're able to, to use it intuitively in a systematic way mm, 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 mm. as a whole, as a whole. Not just you, you, as a. You need to be able to have that within you before you say the sentence. 
or it comes together to make that sentence well you need to it needs to be internalized such that you can do it without having to go through this step-by-step -step process because uh, okay this, yeah, yeah because the language system has kind of been internalized to you so mm -hmm, you're not mm -hmm. having to think about it mm -hmm, got it um and you know there are these moments when things just kind of click in your mind right and sometimes mm -hmm. even with students and suddenly suddenly they're kind of speaking more fluently without without kind of without consciously forming sentences and there's yeah, this kind of yeah yeah magic there's a magic moment. day <laughs> yeah yeah and that and and that is when they've gone from this level two processing mm. this mapping process and then and they somehow have gone up to this higher level this more complex kind of processing and mm. what's really happening in that moment is that that more complex knowledge has kind of emerged in in as a network within their within their brain mm, so mm, that mm, network mm. is functioning it as a whole mm, 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 mm. and yeah, we can yeah. use the same example for tennis as well right so once you start playing tennis you're no longer thinking about forehand and backhand it's a totally different experience you're actually playing the game of tennis and you've got the opponent there and you're thinking about the score and you're thinking about strategy mm. and now tennis you have um internalized tennis so that you don't have to think about the strokes and the rules mm. and all of those mm. things separately mm. 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 and so, so suddenly you're making these new moves you're running around and, and you're impressing yourself like hey how did i do yeah, that yeah yeah exactly and and that's and and you mm -hmm. stop and you stop thinking about what you're doing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's that not thinking about it anymore that's the sign of this deeper form of of mastery or this deeper form of learning yeah, yeah. so um, that question yeah how did i do that 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 obviously you're because you're asking yourself you weren't thinking about it right right yeah right. it only afterwards you thought about it so yeah yeah okay that, that totally makes sense yeah so if we go back to this this dynamic skill theory progression so really mm -hmm. dynamic skill theory is just trying to understand how the brain creates these increasingly complex networks of knowledge going mm -hmm. from individual bits to mapping to a systems level understanding or a systems level mastery and then there's one level above that which is systems of systems and that's basically going from being a language learner to being a language teacher so you've got the knowledge of the you not only can use the language but you have all these other domains of knowledge like how you know like linguistics or psychology or education and you kind of bring different bodies of knowledge together in this meta perspective no i like so, the word yeah you're meta yeah because you, it's a system yeah. of systems right that's when i first heard that term i it was hard for me to understand what that meant what is this i mean how do you get a system of systems <laughs> um and then so I, the, so this word meta that's that's nice yeah you've got this because it'll yeah. it allows you to look so at the meta perspective and meta simply means you can kind of step back and look from different angles so yeah you know let's say that if at the systems of systems level we can say well okay um what how am i going to be looking at language learning today you know uh, mm -hmm, we can look mm -hmm, at it from mm -hmm. the second from the linguistics perspective or from the psychological perspective um or from the, the the perspective of the community of the classroom you know there are mm -hmm. all these mm -hmm. different perspectives we can use yeah but you really need to have an understanding of all those different domains before you can get to this meta level um, cool cool 
So these four levels, as you know, Robert, are an important part of dynamic skill theory to understand, as you were saying about Kurt Fisher, that learning is not just this step-by-step process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once you get this increased levels of complexity, and I think actually, if you see, once you see a picture, like if you see a diagram, it's actually much easier to kind of picture in your mind. Oh, skill theory, you mean? Yeah. These levels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the systems level is like if you imagine a a a network, mm, mm. A, a kind of neural network, all with all these interconnections. Mm-hmm. That's the system, right? Yeah, that's okay. the system, right? Yeah. And the question is, how do we create this complex system in our mind? Yeah. yeah. Um, and and here's one sentence for the the extra theory loving people, because like okay. there's always like thirty percent of the listeners who like love theory, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you're into complexity theory, dynamic skill theory is good for you. Okay, well, we're, we're getting in this really big area. Uh, and, and I think this is making sense for all the listeners. But then let's pull back and, and connect to culture. Right. And culture learning and then the teachers. How, how does this all fit in? So this is because this is where we started, right? Mm-hmm, how, mm-hmm. how does this model help us bring language and culture together? into one learning model. And I said that cultural learning is making sense of foreign patterns and language learning is also internalizing foreign patterns. And so in that sense, in theory, at least in terms of what's happening in our mind at this deeper level of learning, they're very closely related. So Mm -hmm. in terms of learning theory, that's, that's, that's enough, but that doesn't really answer the question of what that means in the classroom. Yeah, um, yeah, and it also doesn't really answer the question of what are the four levels of cultural learning. Yeah, if we're talking about the four levels of language learning as you know this data mapping systems and systems of systems. Yeah, let's well, go there definitely. Yeah. Uh, so cultural learning happens in the same way when you first are learning about mm. culture, a foreign culture, and what, what I mean by Cultural learning is simply having a foreign experience and then learning mm-hmm. to make sense of things that you didn't understand before. So what does that mean? What, what, it's like the, in, in linguistics, that's the vocabulary words, right? So it's a cultural experience. Well, what, what are those bits? So at the, at the, the simplest level, you can, you can get pieces of information like uh, the capital of or the Eiffel Tower is in Paris, oh. or you can have, or you can have individual experiences. Like mm. I've seen, you know, I see that Japanese people bow. I see, so in, you know, in Japan people bow because I saw that. So it can be an individual mm. experience. Got it. Got it. And it can be a fact. Okay. Um, and and this simplest level of cultural learning is also like, I'm American. You're Japanese. It's also this kind of essential quality. <laughs> <Tarzan> level. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that's kind of the simplest level of, mm. of cultural learning. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, it has to start somewhere and that makes sense. Okay. Thank you. And then, but if you have a little bit more experience, so let's say you come to Japan and so you mm. see people bow mm-hmm. and they say, well, you know, what does this mean? And when do people bow and how do people bow? And you notice that you, well, they bow when they greet mm. and they bow, you know, when they thank each other. And sometimes the bowing is deeper and sometimes it's not so deep. And sometimes so it happens s- on the telephone. 
And sometimes it happens on the telephone. Yeah, yeah. So then you have to kind of make some rules for like, okay, so in this case, you do that. Hmm. So this is a kind of cause and effect thinking. So when you go in the house, take off your shoes, or when you greet someone, you should bow, but don't mm -hmm. bow too deeply. Uh, a formal <laughs> bow is deeper. A <laughs> casual a bow is less deep. Yeah, yeah. So this is the kind of rule-based thinking. Yeah. And so the next level of cultural learning is this i is a kind of this etiquette approach like if this then that or you know when you're in japan don't forget to you know hold the business card with two hands like these kind of behavioral guidelines uh -huh. and so that's this the parallel in language learning is you know that's the rules you know like grammar rules we're trying uh -huh. to understand the the structure so there's like so, like a list of do's and don'ts that you pick up in context it's kind right. of like the grammar rules of the language on the linguistic side. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Got it. And and then and those rules can be quite sophisticated, right? I mean, you can mm. learn a lot. Well, in many in these kinds of situations, Japanese do this, and uh, in these kind of situations, they do that, and not all Japanese do it this way. So there can be quite a bit of complexity. Yeah. Uh, there, but there is a higher level of cultural learning beyond that, and that is the limitation of this. Um, kind of rules-based thinking is it tells you what people do, but it doesn't tell you what things mean. In other words, no, that's it doesn't... Oh, okay. Say that again. So well, you rules-based thinking tells you what people do, but it doesn't tell you what things mean. I can imitate Japanese bowing. I can learn to bow more deeply in a formal situation. I can learn oh. to bow when I greet, but to really understand bowing i have to really look at bowing from the japanese perspective hmm. i have to hmm. really hmm. gain the ability to see it from the insider's point of view it's not enough to get a list of rules it really requires this perspective shift like hmm. okay this is how a japanese person might see this situation yeah now interestingly not all Japanese people bow in the same way of course but they <laughs> but they have a shared understanding of of how bowing works so yeah yeah and then they recognize immediately that is a disrespectful bow or yeah. that is a very formal bow or that and, yeah and they yeah, may yeah. choose to be extra formal or not mm, 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 mm. yeah but they basically have a feeling for it yeah and yeah, so yeah, yeah. culture doesn't uh control our behavior mm. culture gives us a sense for what things mean yeah and there's a an exact parallel with language you know learning a language doesn't tell you what to say hmm. that's true you know so let's ask that robert do you speak standard english well you your hmm. english follows standard usage hmm. but still you have your own individual particular way of using english that reflects who you are yeah yeah so there's no contradiction between being a unique person expressing yourself and following the standard usage so it's the same for culture you know mm, you can mm. act in however you want but you understand you can guess how people are going to respond or guess what how people are going to see things mm, 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 so mm, mm. cultural learning has this these same levels of complexity and once you get to this mm. systems level okay um then you're able to kind of shift perspectives and kind of see things from 
the new perspective. And it's okay, quite, we're we're jumping to the third level now. Okay. Yeah. So, so we systems. went the first one. Yeah. The first one was you know the facts. The second one was yeah. like the etiquette. The third yeah. one is when you kind of gain the perspective. Okay. Okay. When when um, you've gained that perspective, you can. Oh, okay, got it. That, that's when you so things are making can, much more sense. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of put on some new cultural glasses. Cool. 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 Okay, and, got it. And that's a kind of systematic, holistic understanding. It's not just rules. You kind of have a feel for the whole thing. Mm, 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 and, mm. you know, to get that feel for how things work in a, in a community, it takes time and it takes trial and error and it takes experimenting. And the same is true for language, you know, to really get this deeper feel. It takes time. It takes experimenting. It takes trial and error. So these two processes are actually quite similar at this, to go to this deeper level of learning. It requires making sense of things, being open to them, experimenting. So think about a language classroom mm. where students have a topic that they're interested in. They're, they're with other students that they like. They're ready to take chances. They're learning to express themselves. Maybe they're giving a presentation. They're all nervous. This very deep kind of engagement is itself cultural learning. Okay. So if language learning is embodied and experiential and emotionally engaging and having community, then the language classroom itself is a cultural learning experience, not culture in the sense of being in a foreign country, but mm. culture in the sense that you are now integrating all of this foreign ways of communicating and relating and expressing yourself. You're doing that in the classroom. So okay. the lesson for language teachers is, first of all, if you're doing engaging language practice, mm. you are doing cultural learning. Okay. You don't have to talk about cultural themes in order to be doing cultural learning. Mm, 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 if, the, mm. if you're teaching living language in a dynamic, engaging way, that's cultural learning. I, okay. I, actually tell my, I actually tell my students, when you walk in this classroom, you are in a cultural learning zone. Nice, nice. And, and, and that helps bring about cultural awareness. Exactly. Because yeah. what I say is someday you're going to arrive in Manhattan and walk into Starbucks and you're going to want to order a latte. <laughs> and you, well, first of all, and being a New Yorker, I don't want them to go into Starbucks in New York. But, okay. <laughs> I have to interject there. <laughs> you're going to be in Kansas. <laughs> okay. You're going to be in Singapore and you're going to walk into the the Starbucks in Singapore. <laughs> but in any case, right. the point is, <laughs> the point is that walking into that Starbucks from the psychological perspective yeah. is the same as facing this pressure of giving a presentation in front of your classmates hmm. or having to do this dialogue or having to create a story based on a picture, whatever that is, this mm, nervousness mm. that we get as we're trying to make use of this foreign language, psychologically, it's the same thing. So mm, mm, I mm. tell my students that this process of language learning is the same 
as the process of cultural learning, you've you've experienced this sense of of engaging with language at this deeper level of the self. Mm. And it's going to be a natural extension. You're going to naturally click into this deeper expressive mode. And I have had students say to me, you know, a tourist came up to me and they asked me for directions and I did it. And now I'm really motivated to learn. Mm, mm, mm. Cool. Why is that? Because they're so closely connected. This experience of having this foreign experience and using language to manage that interaction Mm. is so satisfying. So if you're doing deeply engaging language teaching, you are doing cultural learning. So that's one of the main points of this book. Mm. Uh, So I'm asking readers to rethink these mental models that we're using when we're walking into the classroom mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. kind of recognize that what we're doing is it's highly psychological mm. because it requires this openness and willingness to engage. It's easy to resist. Like we sometimes resist foreign cultures. We mm-hmm. sometimes resist foreign languages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As soon as we start to see that language learning is an embodied process that requires this deep engagement, that cultural learning is an embodied process that requires this openness and deep engagement, and that it's not a step-by-step process, that it requires Mm. building increasing levels of complexity. Mm, 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 You know, mm. that's kind of the, that's kind of the message of the, of the whole book. I see. I want to zero in on one of the words I heard you enunciate. (laughs) That was the word uh, resist. Now, you write a lot about resistance, and you talk a lot about resistance. So I I, I can't do this interview without. I am totally ready to do a whole different podcast about (laughs) resistance. (laughs) So I don't want to go into theory, but let me give you Mm. this aha moment I had. Okay. My PhD was related to understanding the cultural adaptation of expatriates who'd been living in a foreign country for more than a year. Okay. I wanted to understand why is it that some people seem to like stay on the surface and some people seem to like adapt at this very deep level. This was what I was studying. Yeah, definitely. I want to hear about this. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things that came out of that research Mm was that that the people who had a more superficial a, a superficial experience often seemed to have a kind of psychological resistance to some of the foreign things that they experienced okay. like they like they just didn't like that kind of thing hmm. uh, that psychological resistance and everybody has sometimes negative reactions to when we, you know, you try new food, you see other customs, people, you know, suddenly try and kiss your cheek or, you know, yeah, and you, yeah, all you kinds just, of things. it just all kinds of things. Hmm. And then resistance was a really common thing that I found in this research. Mm-hmm. That resistance was a very natural part of the cultural learning process. Some people get over this resistance, and that helps them really open up and adapt more deeply. Other people seem to kind of have this 
long-term resistance where like they they never really get motivated to learn the language like somehow they 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 kind of want to keep who they are stay who they are mm. okay that's a long backstory but the okay. aha moment was mm-hmm. i was talking to a student who was talking about yeah they were saying i'm no good at english mm. and I realized they're they're not demotivated. They are resisting the reaction mm. that my learners are that the reaction, this negative reaction, this this feeling of being of English being something that's alien and that's that's hard to handle and that you you you, you know feels uncomfortable. That's the same psychological reaction that the the expatriates are having. That resistance to a foreign culture is the same as resistance to a foreign language. That okay. is that that resistance is our reaction to foreignness. Mm, say that again. Resistance is a reaction to foreignness. Huh. It's a reaction to a foreign experience. It's okay. a reaction to some these demands mm-hmm. because when we experience something foreign it's it's a it's disruptive we have to like how do how do we deal with this mm. and think about the poor language students they walk into the classroom and they have these constant demands being placed on them not just homework but then they have <laughs> yeah. these yeah. alien sounds coming at them you know and then teachers speaking to them in the foreign language and then they have to like try to make these awkward sentences in their mind it's a very foreign experience yeah, well, no wonder yeah. Not very no pleasant. wonder no wonder <laughs> people would resist that that would be totally normal yeah 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 so i believe that resistance is a natural part of language learning and i believe that resistance is a natural part of cultural learning that's and huge. it has huge and it has totally revolutionized the way that i think about motivation mm. i no longer use the word demotivated or unmotivated mm. because i don't mm. think that students are or learners are unmotivated or demotivated i think they're having a reaction to all these learning demands and they're kind of protecting themselves by saying ego like i'm no good at english or why should i ever learn english i think that's a psychological protection mechanism so i mean for me personally seeing language learning as a form of cultural learning revolutionized how i think about language learning it mm. turned it 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 changed it from being information processing to being something that's highly psychological mm. that is deeply psychological mm. and uh so this idea of resistance and the opposite of resistance is engagement which you know that there's also a whole body of literature about engagement when oh, engagement yeah. oh, yeah. requires a kind of active openness mm. to to the material to this foreignness mm-hmm. 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 so when the foreignness stimulates us in a good way mm. we're engaged it catches our attention when it stimulates us in a bad way we protect ourselves we resist so learners are either engaged or they're resisting or they're doing both sometimes we say well i really want to learn english but 
I'm not that motivated to mm. actually study. Mm. So mm. on the mm. surface level, they're engaging, but at this deeper level, they're resisting because wow. Wow. our motivation system in our mind, and this is back to neuroscience, we have mm -hmm. two motivation systems. We have approach mm -hmm. motivation and avoidance motivation. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we can want something and be afraid of it at the same time. Uh, we can be discussed, we can be a fearful of something and desirous of something at the same time. So anyway, we don't need to go too far into this, but you're this whole, I mean, I'm getting carried away just because for me personally, <laughs> you know, this idea of resistance and engagement really are one is one of this key areas of commonality mm. between language learning and cultural learning. Now, I, I think the listeners, many of them would be blown away if they haven't read your work yet. That's like, wow, that's, that's, that's big. That's like, whoa. <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot more uh, that we can talk about. But let's get a little bit more into practical talk for the, for the teachers who are listening. So in the classrooms, maybe you have a couple practical points, ideas that you can throw out for the um, listeners. Uh, and let me phrase it this way. How can a language teacher kaizen their culture teaching? Now, I use the word kaizen <laughs> for a very particular reason. We had a discussion about that a long time ago. But... Uh, is Kaizen a word that many English language speakers don't know yet? I think a lot don't know. I mean, I mean, it oh. became known because of in the 1980s and 90s, I think it was kind of a hip word for a while because it of was, yeah. total improvement in Toyota. Uh, yeah, you know, this yeah, idea of yeah. ongoing improvement in, in a factory or something. <laughs> so we, you haven't actually translated the word yet, um, but uh, this idea of kind of incremental ongoing improvement well, that the, that's that's the very wonderful English version of kaizen, where in Japanese kaizen just means make better. They took a word and they, they turned it into the the MBA people, the business people took just a very standard Japanese word and then turned it into a huge. It's a linguistic cultural phenomenon uh, yeah. surrounded yeah. around this word kaizen. I just threw that in there because I, I felt that it had an interesting cultural impact on on the way business was taught at the time. Right. Um, and you might have something to say about uh, the Kaizen that they can uh, apply in their own classrooms. So you want a Kaizen tip? Yes. So let's do a Kaizen tip for someone who's primarily interested in language learning and uh, not so much about cultural learning. Okay. So my tip is... When you're planning your lesson, think about the level of complexity of each task that you're asking students to do. Okay. How complex is the task that you're asking them to do? So like if you're asking them to review some vocabulary before you know they start an activity, that's like a, a pretty simple task. But if you're asking them to tell a story, that's a much more complex task. Mm, mm. And... And teachers sometimes don't notice the difference. And and teachers sometimes don't notice the difference. So yeah. these four levels of learning that we were talking about, the, mm -hmm. what was so useful for me was to help me pay attention to the level of complexity of each task. Yeah. And I think teachers with less experience often jump too quickly to a higher level of complexity and then mm -hmm. don't understand why things don't work. So like... So we've we've looked at these vocabulary words, now try and tell a story, but the students struggle to tell the story. 
even though they've reviewed the vocabulary words. Well, that's because the vocabulary words is at I1. It's a singular level. That's mm, like a mm. single data level. But mm. telling a story is a really holistic use of language. So we need more scaffolding. We need more structured support to get them to this higher level. Okay. And so scaffolding is the key to everything. Scaffolding mm, mm, to mm. go from a simpler task that we're asking to a more complex task. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my Kaizen is to slow down and think about how complex is the task you're asking them to do. And then once you can get students to experience this higher level, they can then recreate it. So try and scaffold them and get them to notice that they're now doing something at a higher level than they've been doing before. So that's mm. been very useful for me with dynamic nice. skill theory. Nice, nice. So you're getting the students, but also the teacher uh, to notice the levels and the complexity. And that would be very important for both parties, obviously. Yeah. Yeah? I mean, when in my own teaching, I actually yeah. sh show these four levels to students. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I ask them in, you know, when you're using English, where are you here? And they quickly, you know, they quickly say, oh, well, I'm at this this level two easy, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. level three is really hard for me. So and they, I even, they'll notice what a mapping is and they'll be able to say, I'm, I'm doing mappings now. They They are very aware of they can intuitively understand that they're that they can make a sentence but they're having trouble telling a story for example the system level is the beyond them level, at the yeah. moment right that is so cool wow. Um, wow so that's so and i actually even with my homework assignments i mm -hmm. put i label my homework assignments with these four levels to say mm -hmm. which is the level mm -hmm. and i think another thing that it's useful for is that it allows you to do use the same material but do another activity at a higher level and you can students can understand why they are Ooh. doing another activity with the same material uh -huh. and using the same material at different levels of complexity uh, allows this learner to really scaffold up to more complex uh, to more complex use of the language and it's building their metacognition about all yeah. this that is yeah. so cool it's very applied. so that's yeah so do we want a Kaizen tip for the culture people too? Yes, yes, of course. So the tip for the culture people is, first of all, good language teaching is cultural teaching. So don't mm. worry about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, a, that's a very short book. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, but if you are specifically interested mm. in kind of cultural themes mm, mm, mm. Um, and you want students to be thinking about culture then think about culture not so much as topics that have to be introduced or facts that they have to learn or rules that they have to learn mm. but think about it as an experience mm. so an experience Okay. So the starting point for talking about culture in the classroom is to talk about your own cultural learning experiences. And if you are a if you are a Japanese teacher of English, for example, mm. 
Students love hearing your experiences of when you went to Australia and you had a homestay and, you know, mm. talking about your own learning experiences. Or if you're uh, non, if you're not Japanese and you're in Japan, you have mm -hmm. all of these experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also get learners talking about their foreign experiences. And this is not just in a foreign country. You know, when you move from the city to the country or the country to the city, yeah, those are foreign experiences. Yeah, yeah. And try to find ways to connect the language practice that you're doing with experiences of some sort. It could just be mm. how a word is used, like the 4th of July example we gave. Mm -hmm. You know, the 4th mm -hmm. of July is not the same as July 4th. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're making a connection between the word and the culture or if you're if you're it's a restaurant scene then you can talk about your experience with tipping okay oh that's a big one yeah but remember we're not trying to teach rules we're not trying to teach people how they should tip mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talk about what your experience with tipping is as long as you're talking about your own experience you don't have to worry about stereotypes you don't mm. have to worry about giving the wrong rules you don't have to worry about being some kind of a culture expert and that's what a lot of teachers worry about is, you know, can I teach, can I be this expert? You don't need to be an expert. You need to be a culture explorer and help your students understand that language learning involves cultural exploration. You're, I like that, you're, yeah. yeah. Language learning involves cultural exploration. So whatever your language lesson happens to be, find some way to make little hooks, little connections to some cultural element and you don't have to turn it into a big lesson you can just you can just make those little connections and it's a challenge for the language teacher too mm. because it really forces them to think those things through but that's what's interesting that's what makes language learning more than just information because it brings it to life and you say okay so how is it connected so the key word is exploration yeah exploration of these ideas rather than throwing out teaching points yeah the you, we're not trying to be an expert you're you're going to be a cultural together. explorer you're exploring uh -huh. together a term that i often use in, in my own writing is co-creating knowledge so Ooh. it's kind of like this right that you're exploring and co-creating knowledge and and uh if the teacher is really engaged in that in real time then that's infectious isn't it with the students yeah that, absolutely right? that, that's where we yeah. want to go with this right yeah absolutely cool. because if cool. the teacher is engaged mm -hmm. and this is back to this resistance and engagement mm -hmm. uh if the teacher is engaged and really mm -hmm. into it mm -hmm. then the learners are going to be engaged yeah 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 I, re I remember my teachers that were really engaged and those are the teachers i remember <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, and yeah. and so i mean and that kind of brings us back to this language culture connection and this mm. and this whole idea of embodiment mm. it's all about engagement it's mm. all about you know deeply being deeply involved mentally emotionally experientially with this process mm. and if you stop thinking about language as just a bunch of information and you start thinking about it as this exploration and life adventure mm. Nice. It is so much more complex, mm, 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 but it's mm, so much more interesting. Got it. That is wonderful advice. Wow. And I have to say, Robert, that whenever I have seen you in a teaching situation or giving a talk, 
I love to see how into it you are and your engagement. And that's also why it's been so much fun talking to you today because you're so into it. So thank you. You made, you see when you, because of your enthusiasm, it made me like go on and on and on because you like triggered my engagement. Yeah, we'd go on and on with the mics off we'd anyway. We'd go on and on. It's, it's, a good, really <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't the like the six-hour podcast. <laughs> so we'd be into it. Well, thank you for the compliment. And of course, you are a very animated speaker and a very engaging. Um, you you go full on when you do your you know presentation. Well, if there you know if there are one or two listeners who who are interested in this stuff, I will put in a plug for the Deep Culture podcast. This is mm-hmm. my podcast that mm-hmm. I do, sponsored by the Japan Intercultural Institute. It focuses on the psychology of intercultural experiences. So it's a kind of applying brain mind science to to culture. And uh, check that out. Check out the Japan Intercultural Institute. We have educational events. We have the master class in brain, mind, and culture. And that's also for connecting. That's for trainers and educators who are really interested in intercultural education. So check that stuff out, or you can contact me through the JII website. I'd be happy to hear from anybody. And I really appreciate the chance to talk to you today, Robert. Thank you. We'll put all that information down below. Well, thanks so much, Robert. Thank you very much, Joseph. Lost in Citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information, go to lostincitations.com, where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five-minute audio sample before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues. Then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.